Welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. For anyone who wants to build and grow a career in IT, develop and improve your strengths and skills, be inspired and motivated by the successes of others, manage your career progression, and achieve your IT career goals. And now, your host, Phil Burgess. Welcome to episode 67 of the IT Career Energizer, a weekly podcast where I chat with inspiring IT professionals, consultants and experts from around the world. To find out more about the podcast, visit itcareerenergizer.com. And remember to subscribe to get new episodes automatically downloaded to your device. And now let's chat with today's featured guest, Dan North. Dan is the originator of behavior-driven development and deliberate discovery. He has been coaching, coding, and consulting for over 25 years and uses his knowledge to help CIOs, business, and software teams to deliver quickly and successfully. Dan is also a frequent speaker at conferences and has contributed to a number of books, including 97 Things Every Programmer Should Know. So Dan, can I ask you to expand on that summary and tell us a little bit more about yourself? Uh, yeah, I was just thinking, as you were saying that, there's a hidden code word in there, which is contributed. Uh-huh. And what, what, what con- contributed is code for is unable to finish a book. <laughs> right. <laughs> so what happens is I get involved with really interesting people who are writing really interesting books, and I'm, I'm good for a chapter or two. And luckily, they are completer finishers, and then that's how the books get published. I'm, into, I'm several years now into failing to write my, uh, my Software Faster book, which is on LeanPub. In fact, I'm, a, I'm about to start, hopefully I'm about to start working with a, a co-author on that, who again is much better at completing and finishing than me. Uh-huh. What I have when it comes to writing is loads of aspiration. <laughs> the problem is turning that into, uh, in, into, into output. Is there any particular reason for that? <laughs> the thing is, I, I, know, I love writing. I really, really enjoy writing. I enjoy the process of writing. I enjoy the process of getting ideas out of your head and articulating them. I enjoy the process of editing that down, and I and I love publishing stuff and getting feedback. Yep. So I don't know why I don't write more. One of the problems being independent, I've been independent for the last five or six years now, is that you know you're running a business as well as doing the doing, as it were, and that takes up a surprising amount of time. Um, I also just recently became a dad three months ago, three and a half months ago. Uh, which is very, very exciting. And it turns out that, well, so we, we adopted a little baby and we went out and I figured that we were going to spend the first few weeks you know, looking after this tiny little bundle and it'd be fine and I could get some writing done and it'd be brilliant. No, yeah. no, no, no writing got done. Uh, and in fact, since I've been back, I've, I've probably had less, uh, less disposable time than ever before. Yeah. And I couldn't be happier about it. No, I, I know exactly what you mean. You think you know what to expect, and you really have no idea. Well, and also, I, you know, we've adopted sort of. I'm, I'm older, as it were, than a lot of my friends when they when they had their kids. I've seen them have kids, and, and their kids grow up. So I've had all the advice, you know, and I've seen all of the good parenting and the less good parenting and the results of all those things. And you couldn't be more prepared going in, and you still have no idea. Exactly. Yeah. Very true. <laughs> Welcome to parenthood. <laughs> <laughs> there are, as you, you know, pretty much day to day, and you'll know this, right? Pretty much day to day, almost everything you're doing is a metaphor for something else. Yes. So, <laughs> <laughs> so something happens, and you go, "Oh, that's just like." 
Yeah. I'm I'm really surprised that there aren't more baby and and child rearing metaphors in pretty much everything. It's such a rich thing to to mine. I think you'll be able to bring some of those into your talks. Well, let's see. Let's see. <laughs> um, okay. Can you perhaps share a unique career tip with the listeners? Maybe one they should know, maybe don't. There's one big and unique career tip that I've found that I give people a lot, and I didn't realize until I thought about it and reflected on it. And I ask this, I ask this when I give talks, when I give workshops, is I say, so I've got a room full of people, I say, put your hands up if you have a parent in IT. And there might be a couple of hundred people in the room, and maybe one or two hands go up. And each year it's a few more, but you know maybe it's a, like a, a tiny amount of hands go up. And then I make the observation, we are making this up. Okay, this whole technology industry, this whole IT industry, we're barely into our second generation of people doing this. Yes. And especially for people coming into this industry and also for people finding their way in it, that should be enormously liberating. Right. This isn't a thing where we've got deeply entrenched and deeply understood and deeply well-trodden pathways of things and your journey through this is to learn the things you know if you go into law or if you go into medicine or surgery or if you go into you know these professions with a long and rich and illustrious history there's this wealth of stuff technology we're basically making it up and what that means is if you're fresh out of college or if you didn't even go to college and you're just someone with some interesting ideas You've got as much right to have those ideas and as much chance of making those ideas successful as people who've been doing this for many years. There was a wonderful interview with um, Grace Hopper, Admiral Grace Hopper, who's one of my heroes. She was talking to, I think it was David Letterman or someone, and he said, well, you know, you were one of the first computer experts, weren't you? And she said, no. <laughs> and he said, well, you know, you, you were one of the first you know, first people. Using, she said, there weren't any computer experts. We we just invented the computer, right? So there weren't any experts in any of this. So, you know, she invented the compiler because she needed one. Yes. She didn't sit there and, and say, well, you know, the, the computer science here says that we need to... She was, she was like, I'm getting really fed up doing this again and again. I'm going to write something that does this for me and invented the compiler, right? So, and that's actually not that long ago. That's, a, you know, 50-odd years ago. Yeah. And so it's, it's a really exciting time to be alive. It's a really exciting industry to be in. So my big unique career tip would be just be aware that we're making this up. And this isn't just imposter syndrome. This isn't like I can go and be a junior lawyer in a law practice and realize that when I'm standing in a court, no one knows I'm a junior lawyer kind of thing. It's literally the things we're doing no one knew about earlier. And I, I remember when I was a student, which was in the 80s, and we learned about databases, and I just took this as gospel. This is how databases work. And this is how and we did entity relationship modeling, and we took a, a haulage company or a, something like a logistics company or something, Maersk or someone, and we modeled them because everyone modeled logistics companies because that's what you did. And so I was busy at college trying to kind of absorb all this stuff. And I read an interview with um, or an article Kent Beck wrote recently and he had a slightly different approach to it, which was he was at college thinking to himself, this is really dumb. There must be a better way to do this. <laughs> and I remember reading that and thinking, wow, I'd love to have been the kid at 20 sitting in a computer science lecture going, you know, feeling liberated enough to go, this is dumb. There must be a better way. 
Yeah. I was too institutionalized to, to, to allow myself to think this is dumb. So I guess my career tip is, please uh, don't institutionalize yourself. We are making this up. Yeah, I think you're right. I think any new career or technology is, is going to go through those learning pains as well. There's, if nobody's been there and done it before, it's all new by definition. Well, this is a, you, you look at, let's go back a century, around the beginning of the 20th century, the automotive industry was as exciting and uh, innovative as the tech industry is now. And you had people like Henry Ford inventing the, the production line. He invented mass production because he was saying, well, there's 100 million people in America and I'm going to see if I can sell most of them a car. Yes. <laughs> so, so I'm going to need a heck of a lot of cars. And that whole industrialization. So you have this crazy amount of innovation. And again, we look back from the arc of history and all of those things seem destined to have happened. You have what's called uh, outcome bias, where things happen, the, the, the only things that could have happened, happened. And the world we're living in now, the technology world we're living in now, none of the dies are cast. You know? I couldn't possibly tell you. The things people are getting excited about now, right now in 2018, if I'm looking at a crystal ball in 2010, like less, than, less than 10 years ago, I could not possibly have guessed the things that are like absolutely hot and exciting and current right now yeah there's some things that have gone unbelievably slowly and like shockingly slowly and some things that have come completely out of the blue why are we still programming with keyboards <laughs> why, why are we still moving symbols around on screens with a keyboard in a basically two-dimensional textual field where you have columns and rows is 99 percent of all programming yeah i don't know what replaces it but i'm really surprised that it hasn't been replaced it's one of those things I think it will happen, but I think people are so used to doing that that they're not ready to change. Well, and it's the paradigm shift. Again, it will be the thing that replaces it will be as different as a keyboard was from punch cards. Yeah. It won't be better punch cards. It'll be, well, look, why don't we just get rid of all the paper? And we've got a keyboard and a screen. It won't be a better keyboard or a better human computer interface for programming. It'll be something that's a shift that you and I can't imagine because we've been around for too long. And there are some kids coming through right now that, that aren't stuck in the mental ruts that we're stuck in that are saying, why are we doing this? So can you maybe tell us about your worst IT career moment and what you learned from that experience? I think I've been lucky in that my worst, the worst IT career moment that I can think of happened fairly early on. So either I've got a really good sense, a really good ability to delete bad things, or, or I was just unlucky enough early on, and I've learned from that. I was working as my second proper job. So my first proper job was working for an electronic imaging firm, writing image transformation software, which was great fun. And then I went from there, completely different industry, into marketing, and it was called database marketing at the time in the early 90s. And database marketing, uh, you can think of as the, the respectable end of junk mail. You had a database with millions of people on it. So the whole voters role in the UK and lots and lots of lifestyle and demographic data. So you'd buy, every time you bought brown goods or white goods, you have a little questionnaire that says, tell us about yourself and submit your warranty. Well, this was the company that got all the warranties and got all the demographic information and had this big database. So then Phil would rock up and he'd say, well, you know, I, I, I have these podcasts and, uh, and I sell these podcasts, and all I know about my customers is their name and their address and the fact that they took one of my podcasts. 
And you go, okay, well, now I take those name and addresses and I match them against my big database. And I might have 60% of those people. And now immediately I know lots more about those people. And so we can do some modeling and all kinds of fun stuff. So the entire business runs off a big database that has all the people on it. And that database does everything in the company. So it does you know, the matching. It does the production of lists of names and addresses that are going to get mailed. It does uh, the regression analysis. It does a whole bunch of cool stuff. I'm sitting there. I've been there a few weeks. I'm fairly new. But within those first few weeks, I've been promoted twice um, for various reasons. And I'm now a senior software engineer, and I'm looking after some systems, one of which is the big database. And I'm sitting at my Sun workstation because we had Sun workstations, and I'm going to shut down my Sun workstation because I'm going to move it across the room. So I sit at my Sun workstation, and I type in shutdown minus H now, and I remember what happened. What happened was this. There was a clock on the screen, like as a motif clock on the screen, and the second hand kept on ticking. And I was thinking to myself, that's odd. The second hand's kept on ticking. And just as I thought, that's odd, the second hand's kept on ticking, the door flew open, and this lady, Katie, whose job was to load tapes into the database, (laughs) said, the database has gone down. (laughs) (laughs) And what I'd done is I'd typed shut down minus H now Uh. in the wrong terminal. (laughs) So I hadn't just taken the database offline. I'd taken the server running the database down. I'd shut it down hard. Basically, I just trashed the entire system. Oops. Yes. Oops. (laughs) So so the color drains from my face. Uh, I'm thinking, oops. My boss at the time, this lady, Jan, Basically, what happened next has stayed with me for 20-something years because it's one of the best management, one of the best bits of management I've ever experienced. It was Jan turned around to uh, Katie and said, don't worry, Katie, I've got this. And Katie sort of stopped flapping her arms around and said, okay, thanks, and off she goes. And once the doors closed, Jan turns around slowly and said, all right, what happened? <laughs> she clearly had no idea what had just happened but her reaction wasn't to spin around and go who's she just thought right the first thing that needs to happen is no one in the building should panic (laughs) so i'm going to be calm so she was calm so katie goes off and you know is is then saying to her buddies don't worry jan's got it so jan turns around says um what happened (laughs) it was me i just shut the database to explain what happened and her response, I was I, what I was ne- going to say next is, should I leave now? And her response was, okay, so today is the day we learn about database restores. <laughs> yes. There's always something that can be learned. Do you know, and that was it. And so we sat there until 11 o'clock that night, restoring the database <laughs> and feeding back in all the tapes and all of that. And lo and behold, I did learn about database restores that night. And there was never any recrimination. You know, come review time, we talked about it, but it wasn't, you know, you did this really dumb thing. And I was never punished. I just took that on board as one of the most powerful examples of lead. And she was, I mean, Jan was young. She was only in her 20s as well. She was quite new to management. It was just in her character to take responsibility because she was the responsible person and then to figure out how to move things forward. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I just <laughs> believe me, I had a major life lesson that day. 
Okay, um, so moving away from your worst experience, m- maybe you can take us to your career highlight or greatest success and tell us about that. So I really struggle with this. And one of the reasons I really struggle with this is I think I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I'm still on a trajectory to somewhere. And I've never really planned my career. I've never sat down and said, oh, where, where do I want to be in a year, in five years, wherever I, you know. I, I tend to kind of meander through my career. I tend to go after interesting things or look at opportunities and see what I can do with them. Yeah. So I haven't had a kind of an epiphany moment or a thing that stands out. And what I realized is a lot of my career has been like a ratchet. So I'll go little step to little step to little step. I'd say certainly some of the more significant things. I remember joining ThoughtWorks in 2002 out of the blue. And again, I didn't decide to go and work at ThoughtWorks. I had a a friend of mine who was applying there. And he said, do you know about ThoughtWorks? And do you know they're hiring in the UK? And I said, I didn't know that. And he said, well, I've sent them your CV. So I ended up with an interview at ThoughtWorks because someone else sent them my CV. And, And I ended up working there for eight years. And it was just amazing. It was just fantastic. And the, the things I learned there and the people I worked with there and the things I was able to do, you know, that's where behavior-driven development happened. That's where a lot of the patterns and ideas that became continuous delivery happened. So there was a lot of kind of process and organizational and, and team things going on there and agile things going on there. There was also an awful lot of deep tech stuff going on there. I was the UK's first tech hire back in 2002. So they had a couple of people in a serviced office. And they were they sort of seeded the office from from Chicago, which is where they're headquartered. And then they were gradually hiring locally and kind of backfilling. I was the first local hire. Ah. And then we grew that office to 250 people over like eight years or something. Yep. And it was it was really, really exciting times. Now, I, I didn't choose to do that. I just ended up there. And it was fantastic. In fact, I'd say the only deliberate career move I've made was going independent. Just five and a half years ago, I, I decided I was going to set out on my own. And I had no idea what I was going to do or where it was going to go. And I'm six years into it, five and a half years into it, and I'm still not entirely sure what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I'm, I'm having some adventures and I'm working with some really interesting organizations. So, so I think in terms of highlights, uh, there's been a couple of obvious. Uh, the first time I did a keynote at a conference was really exciting. And again, it was accidental. I, I, I wasn't supposed to do a keynote at a conference. Someone else was supposed to do it and they fell ill. And I was a last-minute substitution, and someone, one of the organisers of the conference, who was who I was a friend, and he said, "Dan, would you, would you be able to step in and give a talk at this, you know, do this keynote at this conference?" And, and it was all a little bit kind of last minute. So again, no one said, "Oh, we should get Dan in as a keynote." It was like, "Who do we know? Whose phone numbers have we got?" But for me, that was you know, hugely, hugely significant. Can you maybe tell us about what excites you in the future of the IT industry and careers in IT? One of the things that excites me is I've got no idea where we're going. Yeah. And I think that's because we don't have any idea where we're going. That's the, the same, I think it was William Gibson or someone said the best way to, to predict the future is to invent it. And there's, you know, there's a bunch of folks out there who are busy inventing the future. There's a huge amount of emphasis, of focus at the moment on... AI and machine learning, there's a huge amount of focus on AR and VR. Uh, I don't know where those things are going to be. What I do know is that voice operating any of my devices right now is still a massive crapshoot and <laughs> really shouldn't yeah. be. And like, if we can't even get good at that, 
I really don't want robot-operated heart operations going on. So I think we really still are waving around and staggering around in the dark to a large extent. One of the things that excites me about the future of IT is it's as completely unknown and unknowable now, the next 10 years, as the last 10 years were a decade ago. One of the things that excites me that makes me optimistic, and it may only be in the little bubble of IT that I live in, and IT is a very big place, but certainly one of the things I've been seeing is a real genuine focus on diversity and inclusion that simply hasn't been there before. So I'm seeing conferences where the organizers are saying, we don't want to have a panel of middle-aged white guys. We don't want to have a speaker lineup. There was a conference a few years ago and someone tweeted, they said, there are more people in the speaker lineup called Dave Thomas than there are women. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's all kinds of not okay. And, and I'm seeing a real, a real strong shift against that now, and that's exciting. Yeah. And it's not just a PC thing. It's exciting because it massively increases the talent pool. If you're just taking college-educated, middle-aged white guys, that's a really tiny demographic, and it's a pretty boring and, and homogeneous one as well. You know, I want people from different cultures, different backgrounds, that see the world in different ways. Some of the best technical leaders I've worked with studied anthropology and history and crazy things that are nothing to do with technology. And it gives them you know, philosophy and politics. And it gives them a perspective on our industry and on our work that you don't get from studying comp sci for three years. And that's exciting as well. Okay, we're going to move into the reveal round now. Are you ready for this? Let's go. Okay. So what first attracted you to a career in IT? This is a really boring answer, I expect, because I could do it. I found it fascinating. I got a, my first computer, the first computer I saw was a ZX81, or that to do stuff with was a ZX81 back in the early 80s. Yep. Uh, 1K ZX81 playing 3D Monster Maze. First computer I ever owned was a, then a ZX Spectrum a couple of years later. And you could make computers do stuff, and it was super exciting. And then I discovered you could do it for a job. And I thought, this is going to be good. And I've loved maths. I always loved maths. So I did a maths and computer science degree. And there was never any question in my mind that that was what I was going to go and do. What is the best career advice you've ever received? I think the best career advice I've ever received wasn't about a career. It was in a completely other context. And it was actually about girlfriends. There's a friend of mine, and he's, I've known this guy my whole life. I've known him since I was like you know, two, three years old. And I was going out with someone. I was having girlfriend trouble, and you know, I wasn't great and whatever else. And I was clearly not happy. And I said to him, you know, I said, what would you do? And he looked at me, and he said, Dan, he said, I'll tell you one thing. He said, never settle for second best. And I just went away, and I slept on that. And the next day, I ended the relationship. I was like, I'm not happy. <laughs> right? I'm not happy. Yep. And then a year or so later, sometime later, I met my now wife. And as we first started dating, and we didn't really kind of meet to date, we kind of met, on, we actually met on a Eurostar train and got chatting and then ended up sort of hanging out. And the more time I spent with her, the more it was like, this is me not settling for second best. This is, this is as good as it gets. And I've carried that advice and I've given that advice. And when I look at an opportunity, I'm like, Am I doing this because it's here? Am I settling? Am I settling for second best? 
So I say you owe it to yourself not to settle for second best. If you were to begin your IT career again right now, what would you do? What would I do? <laughs> Probably what I did last time, which is whatever comes along. Anything that, that, that comes within reach that I think I could really get into and I think I could you know, contribute something to. The What I would do now, the thing that's very different now from 25 years ago is the connectedness of things. So what I would do now would be to really, really immerse myself in people's blogs and social media and conferences and all of that vast amount of excellent learning that's available out there. What career objectives are you currently focusing on? Really, it's find interesting people, find interesting challenges and go after them. I've got a side meme going on at the moment, a thing that I'm, that I'm kind of noodling on. It hasn't really turned into anything concrete yet. So this could be an exclusive, who knows? So I work with lots of organizations and we typically get to a point in the engagement where they say, this is going really well. Now we need to kind of ramp it up and scale it out and go across the organization. And then I need to try and get hold of a whole load of people who have a really specific characteristic. And that is that they can, they are technically very solid and they know how to coach teams. So I don't want to you know, scan LinkedIn for anyone who's put the words agile coach in their profile. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in people who are, you know, I could get Phil in and drop him in a team and he's going to clearly have fun, right? He's doing really good work and he's obviously enjoying himself and other people want to be like him. You know, he's modeling the, all the behaviors that, are the, that, that I want to see. And so he's sort of coaching by doing. Yeah. And it's really, really hard, I've discovered, to find those people. So where those people work in consultancies, they tend to work as delivery teams, for instance. And so if I take my fill out of, you know, could leverage fill and I can put him in there and build a whole team around him and make, you know, make loads of money like that. Or, you know, Phil can go in on his own and do coaching, but I don't get as much money if I'm a consulting firm. So the kind of firms that have fills in them, they tend to want to deploy them as part of a team. And so I find it, as Dan, I find it really difficult to go out in the world and get my hands on people who are technically really solid and not necessarily programmers. I mean, it could be a really good program manager, you know, someone who really understands flow and lead time and how to maximize value flowing through a system of work and all those kind of things and can get people excited about it. Or someone who's a brilliant tester and who really understands the value of testing and the purpose of testing and can get people excited about that. So it's whatever they do, they're good at, and they have that magical pixie dust ability to bring other people with them and, and, and sort of grow the team and get those ideas out there. And I find it really, really difficult to find those people. So one of the things I'm toying with is starting that, is starting a thing where I then you know, have a practice or whatever with a bunch of people like that. I'm sort of noodling with that at the moment because there's another part of me that really doesn't want to grow a practice, but I'm sort of feeling that I'm going to end up having to because it doesn't exist. Do you feel, I mean, going slightly off <laughs> the question list, but do you feel that those once you see those people, they're quite easy to identify? It's not a case of not being able to identify them. It's just a case of finding where they are. You're exactly right. No, they glow. I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can't not. So I'm, I'm going to name names. Um, if you ever get a chance to work with someone like Liz Keogh, for instance, right? She's yeah. infectious. 
she's a better programmer than you. She's a better tester than you. She really cares about what she's doing. And she's like, she's got that modesty, that humility that isn't like, watch me be awesome. It's come and have the same fun I'm having. Yeah. And so guess what? The team around her gets really excited and gets really enthused. There's one of her. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what I want to do is go and find all the other ones and build them into a little gang and go around and fix things. Yeah. And um, what's the number one non-technical skill that has helped you in your career so far? The thing I'd like to say is listening. I think listening is a fantastically powerful non-technical skill. Yeah. I think probably there's two non-technical skills that I'd like to call out that I think have really helped in my career. And this was a deliberate choice. I choose to be very generous with my knowledge. It was in 1997, I, st- I went contracting for the first time. Uh-huh. I only contracted for a few years. It wasn't really my kind of, my, 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 my scene. I didn't really enjoy it that much. But I very quickly discovered there are two kinds of contractors or two, two kinds of successful contractors, two, two models for being successful. One is that you hoard all the knowledge and the other is that you share all the knowledge. Yep. And you have to decide fairly early on which one you'll be. You know, I met a DBA who was a contract DBA, you know, air quotes contract DBA. He'd been at the same bank for like seven, eight years. And he was on his fifth boss. He's on his fifth permanent, <laughs> you know, also air quotes boss. And he absolutely knew how all the databases worked for that part of the bank and no one else did. Yeah. And he had a job for life. Yeah. It was not in his interest to share anything. Okay. And that, and that was his power base. And I decided I was going to be the other kind. And I found that if I could share everything I knew with other people and get them up to speed and make myself redundant, then I wasn't redundant. What would happen is someone would say, that's great. We can do that now. Can you come and help us with this other thing over here? Yeah. And that became, you know, that was, as I say, it was a deliberate choice in the late 90s. And that really, really informed my consulting career at ThoughtWorks and, and everything I've done since. So I think that choosing to be almost oversharing, overly generous with your information, with your knowledge, it's counterintuitive because it makes you vulnerable. You know, it means that, that technically, you know, other people know what you know, they can get rid of you. And you have to be okay with that. But the other kind of people skill, if you like, or the other human skill that I think is really important and that I recognize in others and I try and nurture in others is empathy. The ability to put yourself in someone else's head, the ability to walk a mile in their shoes, all of those things. Yes. Um, as a developer, understanding who you're building software for is massive. Yeah. As a manager, understanding that if a team is struggling, you don't have a struggling team. You have a system of work that presents as a struggling team. So you need to go fix the system of work. It's that kind of, it's understanding the, the interconnectedness of things, being able to put yourself in the head of someone else who's also in that system, but who isn't you. Dan, can you share a parting piece of career advice with the audience? I think my parting piece of advice would be, and I'm sure you've heard this many times, and I'm sure it's almost a cliche, whatever you're doing, do it the best you can, even if it's a thing that you think sucks, right? even if you don't see the point of it. I've been surprised more than once. There's, I ended up with some chore, some crappy thing, or some client that I was convinced didn't appreciate what I was doing or have an idea of what I was doing or whatever. Or I ended up with there's some work going around and I got all the crappy tasks and that's not fair. And anyway, I would, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this the best I can. And then sometime later, 
you discover that someone recognized that you put that extra effort in and it had a real benefit to them. Yep. And that I've found again, time and again, I'm so surprised how, how often that's true. It's a self-discipline thing as well. I find myself sometimes disengaging from something and I'll kind of have a quiet word with myself and say, you know, Dan, you're not doing this to the best of your ability, better up your game. And finally, what's the best way we can find out more about you and connect with you? I'm fairly active on Twitter as Tastapod, T-A-S-T-A-P-O-D, which is a made-up word. <laughs> I'm at dannorth.net. And the reason I'm at dannorth.net is that by the time it occurred to me to get a domain, dannorth.com had gone. <laughs> so I'm dannorth.net. I blog infrequently. And I speak quite a lot of conferences. So one of the things I try to do and don't do terribly well is keep my website updated with where I'm going to be speaking. So come and find me at a conference. If you do, please come and say hello. I love talking to people. And say, you know, if you say, by the way, I listen to your podcast with your, your, your um, IT career energizer podcast with Phil, that'd be great. Dan, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been great chatting with you. It's been a real pleasure. My thanks to Dan for being my guest on today's show. You can find full show notes on the website at itcareerenergizer.com slash e67. In next week's episode, I'll be talking with Daniel Bryant, a technology specialist, writer, and conference speaker. If you haven't done so already, please remember to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever streaming service you're using to listen. Thanks again for listening, and remember... If you're not growing your career, you're slowing your career. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.